You are listening to the Ibn Abi Umar podcast. This is your host, Umar Osman. Hey everyone, I'm joined uh, by Muhammad Faris here from the Productive Muslim Company. Uh, mashallah, our return guest here. Happy uh, to be back. On a couple of months ago, we talked about faith-based professional development. And one of the topics that we touched on in that last episode was the idea of Baraka culture versus hustle culture and in that time you've been Muhammad you've been refining that concept doing more research on that concept and so we thought that it'd be good to get back together and go into a little bit more detail just on that particular topic awesome all right bismillah bismillah alhamdulillah yeah I mean uh, it's it's been interesting just just keep thinking about it and sometimes when you think of a topic long enough you kind of start seeing connections and kind of see how it makes sense it doesn't make sense in some ways and plus testing it out on the ground. So we we actually did some of the work where we deliver this content to to companies or to organizations, and they're like, and there's a res- and the resistance you get. They're like, wait a second, this whole thing sounds a bit, you know, it's, it's goes against the normal conventional corporate training stuff. Um, so well, actually, let's pause there for a second yeah. because we've talked about this a lot. Yes, but I don't know that we've like the audience might be familiar. Mm. So you've done a number of corporate trainings, yeah. like traditional, straight up, yep. like at a non-religious organization straight corporate training where they want you know productivity or Mm -hmm. whatever the case may be but you've done it in muslim countries where i guess the people are muslim yeah but the company still has an expectation of a secular delivery so what explain that what actually has been the resistance and even the comments that you get before you go in yeah i mean i mean the interesting thing we're talking about productivity which is a very human science and you you can bring in psychology you can bring in spirituality you can bring in you know all the human all the factors that impact this human being so i come in and of course they know product muslim they know that what i do and, and a lot of times either the hr or the ceo or the vp is interested in this talk topic and like all right present to our audience and then when i first present especially the first sessions they freak out like they're like whoa 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 what are you talking about like Allah and and and, and like Rasul this is too Allah. religious for our work exactly and 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 shaitan like what are you talking like this is work I'm like okay so are you saying this work does not like those factors don't come into the work like well yeah it does and these are some of them are very practicing some of them they you know very you know it's not like it's not like, it's not a, a a judgment on on spirituality on a personal level it's just making that connection in a professional setting where they really struggle. But the, 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 like we had a situation in, in, in Turkey with one company where I did the workshop for, and literally the CEO was, was, was pretty upset. After the first session, he was really genuinely upset. And he said, uh, don't, don't bring spirituality or tone it down a little bit. Um, this is not what I expected. I expected some more productivity, like, you know, hacks and time management stuff. What are you bringing spirituality? How do you use timers? And- <laughs> exactly. How do you, how you, and I told him, listen, wait three days. Let's finish this workshop. And by the end of the third day, if this does not make sense and if this is, does not appeal to you, I'm happy to even refund you the whole training workshop. Like I'm putting my reputation and my financial being on the line here because they're like, just just wait three days and see how even your, your employees react to this. So by the third day, he came up and said, all right, solid. He left an awesome LinkedIn uh, uh, sort of recommendation. I said, this is one of the best trainings I've attended. I've attended many trainings, corporate training before because it made sense. It connected to my core of my being which is my soul. So I think this whole idea, and of course we live in this whole dichotomy of, of separating spirituality from the work. Compartmentalizing it. It really is impact. But once you make that connection, it's like you open up a whole different way. So of what, what in the workshop was it that flipped that switch with him? 
Good question. I think I think the when he saw the whole sort of where we're going with this, we normally start of the workshop by understanding who are you. We asked like, who are you? And they're like, uh, <laughs> they like struggle with the yeah. whole thing. And we use Dr. Abdullah Rothman's, um, which we spoke about this earlier, Dr. Abdullah Rothman's um, sort of model of the soul. Uh, this is great research by Dr. Abdullah Rothman. We talks about how with this, how Islam views human being. A lot of times, example. And I'll, I'll add the link in the show notes awesome. for people that want that. And and basically, we use that to to say, well, this is who you are. This is this is this is the the model of the person, the soul. Now, how to use that model? to talk about performance, productivity, time management, focus management, better, being a better version of yourself. And it just, then it starts seeing the link between the stuff that they do in the masjid at home and performance and productivity and getting things done. And like, okay, this is, this is I can see where this is going, but it's, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow. And it takes a lot of, I'll say a lot of courage and a lot of, also a lot of um, almost starting to doubt you know and realize maybe i don't know what i don't know and i need to learn more and figure out and make that connection so that what i think the switch happens when they start seeing when i start presenting research on peak performance let's say research on time management or research on focus management or research on sleep or research on nutrition and i link it to concepts such as baraka and spirituality and and sunnah and like okay now this scene almost like part of it feels a bit comfortable this is research backed but then they can almost make that leap of faith for those things that require the leap of faith. When it talks about butter culture and stuff like that. So it, it, it takes a while to simmer, but it's an important shock to the system to have because for too long, we've been taught this one model of corporate training, which is... And they've essentially been told like your religion, you check it at the door. Boom. Exactly. And then you're coming in and saying, you need to actually harness your faith yes. to be the <laughs> better version very... of yourself at work. Absolutely. I mean, I, think, I, mean, I was, I was at, a, at a large multinational uh, institution and... The ombudsman, so the head of integrity, basically, um, he said the number one issue we have in this organization, which is causing all those conflicts, and he said is Hasid. I'm like, wait, say what? Like it's Hasid. Like, what, what do you mean Hasid? Like, and and at all, how do you solve Hasid? It's not something that yeah. you can you can't get a corporate trainer. Let's let's talk about Hasid, guys, right? And let's deal with envy. Even envy, what envy sounds very. You know, how do you bring training material and tools to deal with Hasid? Well, and it's a, it's a hard sell too. Like if you're if you're going into a workplace. It's one thing if you're in an Islamic organization, but you're going into a workplace, they're saying, okay, our problems are that we're uh, over budget, we're, you know, overdue on our timelines, we're understaffed, we're overworked, and now you want to talk about what? <laughs> Seriously, there's, I mean, now, now what I, the way I now explain to corporates, I'm like, there's three sets of skills you need for employees. Number one, you need technical skills, which we all get from college and training and all the stuff we do. Soft skills, which we know it's it's abundant leadership and you know and competencies, sorry, like interpersonal emotional intelligence and stuff. But this third set of skills, which is you don't talk about, which is hard skills. Really, how to develop, how to deal with basically your your heart and your nerves, things like compassion, things like um, dealing with hassad, jealousy, dealing with being egos, God, I mean office politics. Oh, it's all ego driven. It's all ego driven. How do you deal with that? From a, and those things you can talk about soft skills all you can talk emotional intelligence all you want and this is where things like spiritual intelligence comes in because you need that sort of that faith system. How do you teach amana to two people? The idea of amana instilling it, a sense of responsibility and trust. Yeah, how do you, how do you teach that? Right, you can you can talk about soft you can talk soft skills of amana technical competent okay technical skills of amana. It's a very it's linked to spirituality ethics believing in a hereafter. Yeah, I was going to say, for, for me, a lot of, you know, if we take, like, the topic of ego, right? 
there's there's very good books that are written from a secular perspective on the idea of ego and its negative consequences but there's no equalizer in the sense that either you just are able to buy into it and see the effect of it or see the benefit of it of like subduing your ego but the challenge that society constantly rewards being egotistical right so people that are that toot their own horn tend to move up and so there has to be some equalizing mechanism that makes you say like i'm going to sacrifice that benefit that i get and for me it's hard to come up with any accountability mechanism other than the hereafter because unless you're focused on what benefits me or is going to hurt me in the hereafter it's a real challenge to actually make yourself act in that you know in that way where you're subduing your nafs even though you might get success absolutely and an interesting thing there like dr ali gumzawi he did a research paper on moral leadership uh sort of um the role of religion in moral leadership development and he talks about the fact that there's three factors that people of faith have which gives them who's this author again uh, dr ali gumzawi and he wrote a research paper on the uh and maybe you can send the link to the paper as well um on the three factors that impact uh, a person's leadership when they come from a faith perspective one is that one is believing god the fact you believe in a god that that's by itself you believe in allah SWT, that by itself makes you think differently if you don't believe in allah, or you actually choose not to believe in allah SWT, there are certain implications on that second believe in hereafter the fact there's a life after death that also changes how you perceive things how you value things and third is believing in some kind of sacred scriptures which tells you how to live your life right the quran and sunnah in our case you know there's those choices we make so this is where we brought the idea of you know we developed the barak culture as part of our refinement of ideas was the, what are the mindsets what are the values what are the rituals that are driven by believing in allah believing hereafter and, and believing in scripture which actually change the way you perceive things change the way you act change the way you behave change the decisions the, the decision criteria you make and i think and and we tend to discount that we tend to discount that heavily or we don't still see the the linkage and i think this is our challenge and part of it because even as people of faith people of religion you know of, of training of, of our khatibs and imams sometimes we've kind of kept that within the context of you know religious teachings spiritual teachings and not how do you make it relevant to daily life to personal right. life, professional life that's the challenge as well yeah i think you know part of it is like the the cliche thing has always been intention yep that as long as your intention is supporting your family and earning a halal living etc 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 that even your work then is ibadah yeah, or uh, worship yep. right and like obviously we don't disagree with that but it's also a very simplistic way of looking at it and there's if you're spending that much time working uh it's not always going to be just for supporting your family you need to be able to get some self-satisfaction your own sense of growth your own actualization of your potential in some cases as well that i have something to contribute and i think the baraka culture mindset is a way to almost accelerate that beyond just i have an intention so i'm getting rewarded it's actually is this a an arena for me to apply my faith yeah and and if you remember the book uh by the late nabil azmi on 11 qualities of the change the world with prophet sallam in his book he quotes this whole hierarchy of intentions it's not just having intentions like what level it starts off like the basic level intentions doing something for purely for worldly gain or financial gain and they say we can upgrade that intention to for example doing something for honor reputation fame and then you upgrade that intention of actually just a feel-good factor you don't care about the honor reputation fame you don't care about the financial gain but you're doing the feel-good factor but then you see you can upgrade that intention and talk about not just feel-good factor now you can move up to um you call spiritual contentment meaning that 
you feel spiritually good about it. this is what kind of self-actualization maybe you know yeah. maslow's theory like the idea of, like i feel good about it on a, on a, almost like a spiritual this is my life purpose you know the meaning and purpose comes through because that's not the highest level and then you can go up there and say oh i want to i'm doing this to gain paradise and avoid hellfire and again because i'm doing just it might not be spiritual contentment there might be no feel good factor it might not be honor petition fame or financial world again but i'm doing this purely for gaining paradise and avoiding hellfire but he said, even then, there's something that's higher than that. And that's doing something purely for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure, which is tough, which is really high. So even something is, as, again, we've kind of heard this narrative many times, but, oh, you have good intentions and, and you'll be fine. And, and, you know, you're earning the living. So how, how do you apply that noble oh, intention to someone that's an accountant yeah. or a software coder? Yes. Or, you know, just these regular, you know, just the corporate jobs that a lot of us fill. Yeah. How do you implement that? So... One, one is more like okay, I'll answer the more tactical and then more philosophical. The tactical one, I was um, there's a South African company who asked me to do a retreat for them and just talk about butter culture. They were a very young startup, doing very well financially, and the CTO, someone is like, I, I, mean, I look at code every single day. Like that's my job. How on earth am I supposed to have the intention of achieving God's pleasure looking at code? Right? Yeah, I'm like, I'm finding errant <laughs> semicolons and removing them to make the code compile. Exactly. It's like, oh. so. And this is, and so I, I just threw it out there, told him, like, okay, which of the 99 names of Allah you love the most? He goes, I love the word Al Jamil, right? The most beautiful. I said, okay, is there such thing as beautiful code? And his eyes lit up. He goes, yeah. I was like, all right. Is there a way for you to worship Allah with that perspective that you are almost like worshiping and, and asking Allah's acceptance of the work from through the work of beautiful code? And it's almost like something just unlocked from because I can see that connection. Now, you can only run with that so far. The more philosophical perspective is asking yourself kind of like, what am I doing in this world that is, needs, you know, what's, you know, the body of work or the, 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 the body of your life if you were to compile your yeah, life? Because the, the traditional narrative really is more, I'm stuck in my cubicle. How do I get out? Yeah. That, that's the, I would say the thinking of most people is I feel like I'm wasting my life away. And much less like using this as a means of spiritual development. Yeah, it's imagine so seeing. So it was also one of the tactical levels, seeing how can I use a spiritual spiritual development. But then the other the other approach is is thinking more from perspective. How can I do something that that seeks God's acceptance? Like, what would it mean for me to do something seeking God's acceptance? And that's one of the one of the key criteria of hustle culture versus versus butter culture, where hustle culture is all about getting you know results or some kind of target something versus doing something seeking God's acceptance and what does it look like imagine you're writing a report imagine writing a book imagine you know doing something and you're actually seeking God's acceptance now you may think wait a second I'm doing this to make my boss happy I'm doing this to make you know so is, is this is this as simple as applying the concept of doing things with Ihsan right like having excellence in everything that you do or is this a step beyond just having Ihsan in your work it feel it's almost like a step beyond where it's almost okay it's bringing that because there's there's the concept of no matter what my job is I do it with ihsan to fulfill that sunnah of yeah. giving something my best effort. Yeah, it's almost like you you bring that God consciousness that taqwa into everything you do, including your work, right? So, for example, like, and and that means bringing the intentions. That means means bringing istikhara before doing something. That means you know consciously, almost like consciously thinking of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala in those small actions could be 
before entering a meeting could be leaving the meeting how you react checking your heart in the middle of a meeting hey is this, is my ego playing up or not what's happening here you know being in a state of you know just it's almost like how you engage spiritual with the work and how you engage spiritual with you, with your family engage spiritual with with people around you that's where the, that's where it becomes much more beyond as a checklist. Oh, I have good intentions. Check. I'm doing something with my son. Check. I'm doing. And I think that's where we something we kind of simplest made things too simple to the point where Islam became became almost meaningless to us and doesn't. There's no linkage with. It's with, too ritualistic. Too ritualistic and too not practical. And we don't see that that whole baraka paradigm, which which you know maybe we can talk about. So like, maybe things like swallowing your anger. Moving yeah, and and seeing that as a, as a part of your spirit. For example, you might you might talk. Let's say your boss talks to you, right? And you see you you're going you're burning, all right. What's what's happening? Why am I burning? Oh, is it because I'm, I'm feeling that my risk is attached to this person? Is it because I have this issue of ego with this person? Is it because I you know what's happening here? And you almost like check yourself. Yes, they can be. You're almost like using faith as a means of self accountability at all times. That and, and why am I responding this way? Why am I reacting that way? And it's not just assessing my motivations, but then my resulting action is driven by my identity as Psyche. a Muslim as opposed to just reacting or responding on the spot without taking faith into account because the two reactions might be very different. Yes. And and it's, and it's almost being aware of your your psyche. For example, like for example, being conscious of you know, uh, you know how they say for example, if you if you're if you, the thoughts that goes in your head, right? Some thoughts come from your nafs, some thoughts come from shaitan, some thoughts come from you know angels, some thoughts came from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? So that you know, they, you know people talk about how do how do you so you're there and you're seeing, you you have this rage in you, right? They're like, God, I don't want to like, I'm annoyed. Or, you know, I was talking to somebody um, the other day and she's running, she runs a business and she was struggling with this idea that her competitor basically released the product before she did, right? So she got really annoyed. She goes, I was, ah, I was like, I was feeding it and it's basically jealousy picked up. I thought, okay, so that's a trial right there. What's, what's the normal things? Oh, you should, you know, normal coaches. All right, you should, you know, don't worry. Leave it aside. Do your own best. Do your best work. Ignore that. I told him, oh, you know what? This is perfect for spiritual development. Now, check your heart. You realize it's jealousy. How can you cure the jealousy? And she's like, oh, no, don't go there. I'm like, yes, you're going to share their work. She's like, no, no, no I'm not going to do that. I'm like, you got to share their work. Why? Because you're treating your heart. Because now, now this thing that came up, which is annoying, which is something that burns you, you're going to start sharing the work to treat your nerves, treat your heart. And they realize, no, no, I have this disease. I need to solve it. I need to cure this disease. So she did that. She actually went in and she, you know, basically, hey, I'm so happy. So-and-so released this product and really recommend you guys check it out. It's good stuff. You know, not passive aggressive, yeah. nothing, just like genuinely good stuff. Yeah. She emailed right afterwards because, wow, I feel so much lighter. And I feel like now I can focus on doing work that Allah accepts versus me trying to play One catch up. up. Person. Exactly. Play catch up. So, what could have been a situation of competition of cutthroat competition became a spiritual development and that's and that's when you how you operate within baraka culture versus the whole hustle culture i gotta you gotta lose so i can win and let's this cut you know scarcity mindset which you spoke about in your podcast that that is where it comes in so it's it's being it's bringing that those that taqwa bringing that mindfulness into these situations and seeing every moment as wow okay now I, this is interesting how am i reacting? I, I think what's interesting is that a lot of these principles and concepts the the better corporate and secular trainings will actually implement and teach a lot of the same stuff but it's 
the I think the gap is in the implementation because unless you have the larger purpose driving you, there's not a reason to implement it sometimes. Yeah, and the and also the the stories. Um, you know, the fact that we have the sira, which is so helpful. Like, oh, I remember the sira. This happening, so I'll do the same, right? Um, is these those stories that you grew up with, right? So, like, how do you teach someone honesty and amana? You don't teach them by by lecturing them. You teach them through stories. You teach them. You show them how it was done. How it's done. The values, right? This is this is why having these stories back of our mind really is helpful because you can recall it on the spot, and it becomes easy for you to to all right. And because you have faith and belief in it, and you believe that there is reward, there is baraka, and you're fulfilling those, you know, acting upon those stories. That way, it becomes much more easy to implement versus. Oh yeah, I heard you know so and so amazing trainer saying I should have more compassion. What does that mean? <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, how does I mean? How does it like? Okay, fine, great, great progression. Like, but then I hear a hadith or I see a seerah of the Prophet showing compassion to people of Taif, even though they were out to get him. All right, I could get it. So when you when you teach these in the corporate setting, um, you know obviously you get that feedback immediately. But do you get follow up comments maybe a couple of weeks later? from maybe some attendees, what types of things have they noticed after trying to implement some of this? Yeah, I think the, 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 the big thing they notice is how more calm they are and, and less stressful they are because they realize, okay, um, there's certain things that's within my control to focus on and there are certain things I need to align myself with in terms of, you know, in terms of the, the natural laws, of how things work out, but also recognizing the sort of Allah's permission and sort of Allah in the whole, this whole equation and just being aware of it, being mindful of it, literally. And that, so that there's a level of stress as usually goes down. People say, I so it's funny you mentioned this because uh, one of my first jobs out of college, I worked in a hospital and I had a Muslim coworker as well. And so one day, one of our non-Muslim coworkers, he came up to me, he goes, man, he goes, I really admire you and this other guy. And I'm like, I'm like, why? He's like, you know, and we were, it was a busy hospital. It was like a primarily a surgery hospital. So there was a lot of just urgent, important, red alert. And I mean, quite literally life or death types of wow. things happening like mm -hmm. all day long. So you're running around, you're in a high pressure situation. And he goes, I noticed that you two guys are just always chill. Mm -hmm. He goes, even when everyone else is like acting crazy and everything's like getting out of hand, like you two guys are always calm. Mm. And he goes, and I figured out, like, he goes, I think it's because you guys are Muslim. Wow. And I was like, I wow. Know. I'm like, <laughs> it's like, really? It's like, I didn't I'm see like, that okay, coming. Cool. I'm like, maybe I'm going to get, maybe I can give him shahada or something. And he goes, and I'm just like, he goes, yeah. And he goes, you know, and, and I've been talking to my wife at home and I, I've been telling her about, you know, about Muslims and Islam. And I was just like, oh my God. I'm like, what's <laughs> happening here? And so he just keeps going and he goes, you know, I really, he goes, this really made, made like an impression on me and stuff. And he goes, so I, you know, I went home and I asked my wife, like, what do you think about me taking on a second wife? Like Muslims <laughs> oh, do. And I was just like, no, no, no. <laughs> like you missed the point, man. That, that's not where this, like it just completely like turned in a different direction from what I was expecting. I was like, we went from like this calm character to I'm like, maybe this guy's going to take Shahada to like. I think I like this religion because I can have two wives. I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Out of the question. And, and, and that's interesting. So, like I said, being and, and, and when you implement this, it's not something what you say, what you do is like living this Baraka culture. And I think um, one thing that we, so we were at the retreat in Singapore last month and uh, Dr. Blah Rothman joined us and we had this, we came up with this 
term which I think was was fascinating because because again it was I was trying to explain this many times I wasn't sure how to explain it. They said think of this in terms of paradigms in a paradigm like a Newtonian paradigm or an Einstein paradigm within the paradigm the set of laws that was created within that paradigm makes sense but if you take that set of laws and apply it to the other paradigm it does not make sense so right. yeah. so think about a dunya paradigm so there's two paradigms there's a dunya paradigm and then there is a called we call baraka paradigm akhira paradigm Allah paradigm there's something that's unseen in the dunya paradigm there are certain laws and you got to follow the laws. You know, you, you got to eat so you can survive. You got to sleep so you can you know, wake up, right? These are basic dunya paradigms. So you got to, basic laws within this dunya paradigm, which you need to fulfill. And part of what we do at Product Muslim is to teach you the, the dunya paradigm practical stuff, right? The, how to manage your focus, energy, and time within the dunya paradigm. But, and there's a big but, which is don't forget the fact there is a baraka paradigm. For example, you know, how do I, you know, if dunya paradigm says you got to sleep eight hours a night, Otherwise, right. you can't get up for, for you know, otherwise you, you, won't, you won't function, right? And then we think of Ramadan and, and even outside Ramadan where it's like, okay, you probably sleep less than that, but you get up for what? You get up to pray Tajr, you get up to pray Fajr, you pray, get up to pray. Now, within the dunya paradigm, <laughs> within the dunya paradigm, that doesn't make sense. Because like, what are you doing? But then you forget this whole Baraka paradigm. And Allah is saying, you know, I want you to get up and pray, give up your sleep. For worship, to basically, I want you to operate within the baraka paradigm. I want you to be recognized, by, and to sometimes operate within it, recognizing that some things are you know, the stuff within the dunya paradigm. They're not, not explained by the dunya exactly, paradigm. Exactly. So, like the fact that you're sleeping significantly less, but still able to perform and be productive from a dunya paradigm doesn't make any sense. It's like it's like finances, right? Like even non-Muslim authors will say, "Well, if you donate money, you just somehow." the quote-unquote the universe will return it to you and it's like you'll acknowledge almost everything except god himself yeah like it's and, and and so once you start thinking from those perspectives like okay now and that's why we talk about the mindset of thousand rituals this is what the kind of the laws of the allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the quran the sunnah and the guidance to us is that this is these are the this is how the baraka paradigm works literally you give us a cheat sheet now here's the laws of exact right you got to pray five times a day you got to fast once a year and if you go this is like just the basic minimum Right. right now if you go beyond that well guess what the baraka paradigm you know works for you really. you get more results you go more you get rich rich works for you in this life and of course in the next and i think once i look from that perspective now it's like okay you know i got a decision to make dunya paradigm decision making i got to do the stuff look at my options baraka paradigm i gotta praise tikhara oh i need to uh you know i gotta i gotta um you know basically uh, work i have this issue with my heart like it's like heart disease right Dunya paradigm competition, da 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 da. Baraka paradigm, no abundance mindset. Baraka paradigm. I'll give you one. I'll give you one example, mm -hmm. which is a dunya paradigm. Essentially, is lay people off. Uh, and I think in a baraka paradigm is very interesting. And I I don't have like maybe a particular story that I can share. This is maybe more anecdotal, but I think there's instances of the fact that you are financially like I don't want to say helping, but let's say you're keeping someone employed so they can provide for their family. There actually ends up being a sense of baraka in, in that. And that might be something that is helping your company or organization even without you realizing it. That, that, like there, there's the hadith. there's a hadith that one time someone came to Prophet Solomon and he said that, you know, my my brother, he comes and he spends time with you and this and that. Well, meanwhile, I'm working and supporting him. And the Prophet told him that 
maybe your entire sustenance is only there because of your support for him. I, like if you weren't supporting him, maybe you wouldn't get anything at all. But meanwhile, the dunya paradigm is just cut, 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 cut. And in the famous hadith, that you are given victory and you're giving sustenance through the weak ones. Yeah. Through the weak ones. So you trying your best to maintain the jobs or to help them transition, to upskill them, something, whatever it is, and seeking the intention, that's where intention comes in, seeking the dunya, the barakah paradigm, seeking the barakah, that is where you start opening this whole barakah paradigm. So it's almost like if you have a barakah paradigm, you're looking at the people as these are families that we need to be supporting or whatever through keeping them gainfully employed. And through that, our overall business may actually increase beyond what we're able to project or think based about. Based on cash flows and projections. Based on our based on our pivot tables and Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> exactly. But from the dunya perspective, it's, hey, we have to cut X percent of the labor force. Who cares? Yeah. And and, and the thing about it, again, so it's, that's implications in terms of business, implications of professional. I mean, implications huge. And imagine you being able to wreck. So we are given the cheat sheet, literally. This is the this is the cheat sheet of life, literally. The yeah. mindsets, the values, and rituals. The question for us is how do you apply them? How do you practically apply them in a day-to-day level and that's kind of where currently i'll say this is where that we are researching this with this working with yourself or others and just like figuring out what does this mean how does it apply on a professional level on a personal level on a family level and and it's and it's fascinating honestly i feel like we have only scratched the surface and there's a lot that needs to be done so one question that comes up so okay it sounds nice in theory right to operate from a baraka paradigm versus the dunya paradigm but the I think a key question is how do you measure it? Because, you know, every obviously every business wants metrics. We're a data-driven society now. The dunya paradigm, you can measure everything and see if you're on track. How do you quantify or measure the spiritual side of it? How do you even know that we got this result because of the baraka element versus something else? Yeah. So the first, the first and foremost, is we should have that certainty and yaqeen that nothing happens without Allah's permission. And that, that that's done, like nothing happens. So everything is happening, is happening by Allah's permission. And when we see, so Barakah is measured either by increase, some kind of, there's a, there's a growth. That's a natural, that's the name, name of, meaning of Barakah, Namah was Ziyadah. There's increase, but it's not any increase, right? Fir'aun had a lot of money, Qarun had a lot of money. It's increase that brings benefit. And ideally, spiritual benefit, meaning it gets you close to Allah's Ta'ala. If, if you get that promotion, you just become a jerk, right? <laughs> or you, or you, you just well, increase I, that hurts you back. I, was gonna say, I don't remember the ayah, but there's an ayah that I think the term used in the Quran is istidraj. Yes. That people are, they're given the wealth almost as a lure to pull them away from Allah. Like they, they want the wealth. More so they're, injustice. They're actually given more and more success in the dunya as a means to take them away as a punishment. Yeah. It's, it's, so when the, when the, when the, when the taken is taken, is the Qarun, he had everything. So he went out and suddenly boom, the, the earth just swallowed him. That was a, a huge fall for him. It's almost like you go higher, higher so that the fall becomes more painful kind of thing. Yeah. But that, the idea is that, so it's, so Barakah means, it does mean increase. Also, oh, mashallah, you've got Barakah in your family, Barakah in your job, or Barakah. There is an increase, but it's increase that brings benefit. It's not, if it's, if it's increase that brings you more stress or brings, turns you away from Allah or increase that makes you more unjust, then that's not barakah. So that's one way to measure it. Is, it, is, is, is this increase, this growth, gets me closer to God, gets me closer to Allah Taala, or and is beneficial to myself, my family, those around me, or is this causing more stress? And we've seen people who get promoted, move up, and have big businesses. They're like, oh my God, like why am I doing this? So when, so I know this is going maybe off topic a teeny bit, but I think one one way to assess this is also 
this drives maybe personal decisions in terms of career. So there's, uh, there's this idea of, okay, well, if I take a promotion, if I take this new role, it's going to mean an increase, let's say, in hours at work. It might mean that I'm traveling more, so now I'm away from my family. So these, I think, are p things that people struggle with in the sense of, do I take this and make a sacrifice on the family side? Or do I maybe take a step back and suffer, in a sense, professionally, to increase the baraka side of it? How do you navigate those? Because that's... That's something that I've done. I mean, I've I've faced that decision myself, right? Of do I do I continue moving up if it means that I'm on the road Monday to Thursday every week, and or this do way, I take a step back and be home? And this and this is where it comes down to that intention. For example, if you are, you know, Omar Abdul Aziz or Salah Din Ayubi, who said to basically told his family, you know, right, I'm now the the new Khalifa, so I, I won't see you for a while, basically. So he, the intention was clear that he's like, I have this big role which is to fulfill almost like my purpose on life, which is to worship Allah Ta'ala. And this will mean taking time away from my family, from my children. Literally, you know, Prophet Sallallahu told Khadija, Khadija the, the time of sleep has ended. Umar Abdul Aziz, you know, when he became Khalifa, he told, he told his wife Fatima, Fatima, you know, it's, I'm now the Khalifa, don't expect me to be around as much, basically, because now I've got this responsibility. But the intention is what? The intention there, they have to fulfill a bigger mission, which is fulfilling their, almost like their huge purpose and role in life. Most of us, when it comes to these promotions or these things that require a lot of traveling, a lot of jobs, what's the intention is perhaps the financial world to gain, which again, nothing wrong with that intention, but as long as we're clear, that's the intention. And the question for us, all right, what's this build to a cost benefit? Is that increase of X number of dollars per year worth me losing this much of time and the travel and the headache and the stress and the health? And I think one thing from the not? Baraka point of view is that one of the things that a source of Baraka is good relations with your family. And I think in, in this case, maybe, so taking the example of Omar Abdul Aziz is the family can be supportive and on board with the sacrifice because we're all aligned as to the purpose of this sacrifice. Whereas I think maybe sometimes with the other stuff, it's, no, we're not in alignment because, okay, cool, you get this job and let's say you make an extra X amount of money a year. If that's not really affecting our lifestyle or our kids, Maybe the family is not on board, and then that's what causes a conflict. You know, the there's a book, How Will You Measure Your Life by Clayton Christensen, mm. and he talks about that at the end of their life, a lot of CEOs or these really high-performing executives, they say that one of their biggest regrets is, I don't have a relationship with my kids, or I only see my grandkids twice a year. And it's because I sacrifice for my shareholders and my company. And now they're seriously asking themselves, was it worth it or not yeah. and that's why and that's why and, and it's not a call to feel like all right sit back don't don't move up don't have ambition don't have it's a call that if you're gonna be ambitious and you're gonna have a life purpose it has to be purposeful purposeful intentional it's for allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it's for the akhir. like this has to be worth and like i said alignment like everyone's aligned for example uh very and, famous and by the way and i and i've even and i've seen situations where someone is ambitious and progressing in islamic work Right, like quote unquote dawa work and serving the community, but the families. But they suffering. still burn their family in the process. So it's like, well, what was the what was the point? Yeah. There's a guy called uh, Abdurrahman Smith. He's a Kuwaiti, um, a man who's a doctor, and he made his mission to do dawa in Africa. Right, and one thing that I'm amazed not him amazes his wife and kids, where literally the wife, you know, says, "All right, I'm coming with you," and the kids are coming with you, and literally spend years in random villages 
in Africa around. In fact, there's a map of showing just the number of villages of converted Islam through his effort. And it wasn't him alone. It was him, his wife. You had the alignment. The whole family was aligned to this is the life purpose. And we're ready to make sacrifices for Allah SWT. And that they spent literally years in, in, that, in that. And he passed away a few years back. But it's just, it was that alignment. Now, if he was going alone and sacrificing his family, or if there was no alignment, or if the intention was not there, wasn't for the right reason. Or if he, maybe even if he's driven, but his family is opposed to it. Yeah. I mean, this is where you start having those, those conversations. Like, and this is where Baraka culture comes in, because then when you start operating, yes, it did not make financial sense to him to be in Africa. And he's a doctor. He's, you know, his wife came from a very well-off family. It's like, why would you do that? Like, you can live a very comfortable, happy life in Kuwait and do, and do well. He said, no, I want to do this. is what I'm, I feel like it's mine. I need to do, be. And, and this is where the intention came in. And that, again, the hierarchy of intentions came in. That they really did it for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's pleasure. And, and that's what I So that's, that's the where it, it's not as simple as, oh, work-life balance or, you know, don't, don't get a promotion or try not to you know, sit back and say, no, it's about thinking, have ambitious for the right reasons, but at the same time, be recognizing of the body culture. And, and I think we've seen examples at the other end too, where even if people are ambitious, if they're, if they don't have the right process in terms of even let's say things like family from the Baraka mindset, we understand that they're not going to end up getting the results that they thought that they would. And so even though they might say, okay, I'm making the necessary sacrifice, I'm going all in. It might not be as fruitful as they thought that it was going to be because they didn't take care of the elements that bring them the Baraka. Yeah. And, and this is where something I said, people, even within Islamic work, like I said, they can, if the values are not there, if the intentions are not there, if the rituals are not there. I mean, I was talking to an investment banker, you know, a Muslim investment banker. She runs a multi-million dollar Islamic fund to invest halal investments on behalf of Muslim investors. You know, you can, can't get more halal than that. And the problem with, like, I told her, do you pray istikhara before making investment decision? She's like, no. <laughs> She's like, I'm like, you're investing billions. I look of... at my pivot table. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, you're investing millions of dollars on behalf of Muslim investors, right? And you're making decisions every day. I'm like, you know, not praying istikhara on your, on your decisions. I mean, what, what, where's the disconnect? It's like, I've just never thought of it. I read it never. So again, the dunya paradigm is just like something we think within that table and not. And that, and that idea even of the, the istikhara there, that is driven by, if you understand that you have an amanah to your investors and doing things with ihsan, like those Islamic principles, then will force you to take those extra steps. To track barakah. Because from the dunya paradigm, all you need to do is you need to validate your Excel spreadsheets. You need to validate your projections, validate that you've done your due diligence and background research. As long as you check those boxes, you're pretty much in the clear. But from the Baraka mindset that that's actually just not enough. That's not enough. And, and like even the, and recognizing that you don't know the results. So the, that, the irony here actually is that when you adopt the Baraka mindset, you end up working harder <laughs> at your secular job than if you only had a dunya mindset. Yeah, and because also the, the accountability, like you're not accountable to your boss anymore. Literally, you're thinking, okay, even the small stuff, really the small stuff, you know, am I doing this properly? Am I doing this? sound excellence. This is where Hassan comes in where you become so conscious and so aware and so mindful that honestly, you are like the role model employee, really the role yeah. model, you know, personally, everyone wants. And, 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 but because you don't, you don't, you don't have the, you know, you don't have, you're not, you're not part of the game. 
you're not part of, you're not plugged into that game when you right. have to play you've played that the politics game like i'm not i'm not even that's not even on my mind it's almost like when you have a high performer in your work who they love their job they don't care all the politics happen in the background they just do their job because they love their job but now for you infusing spirituality i mean literally whether it's salah whether it's fasting whether it's dua i mean can you imagine doing dua for a project at work like <laughs> <laughs> that's like, the only way I've gotten through projects <laughs> is making quiet work because I'm like, yeah, I have no idea what I'm doing. I mean, just doing that and, and recognizing it's coming from Allah. So part of it's your own spiritual development and recognizing the baraka comes with it. But part of it as well is being aware that, you know, it's 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 a different set of law. You, you are operating a different paradigm. Don't try to apply. If you apply Baraka paradigm stuff in doing paradigm, you'll struggle and vice versa. So just think of it, this is a different paradigm and I'm operating from that paradigm. That's my primary paradigm. And yes, and I'll still be, I'll turn up on time. I'll meet deadlines. I'll go to meetings. I'll, you know, I'll be smart about building coalitions with people. I will go through a change program that for the fifth time, whatever. Yeah. But I'm operating from that Baraka paradigm. All right, so I know we're we're getting close on time here. Any uh, this was a great conversation, Zakhlakhir. Any final comments, final thoughts on on this topic that we didn't get to dive into? Yeah, I think I think I'm inviting everyone to to really you know leading with their thoughts. I mean, this is not a one person, two person sort of you know research. Really, we need all of us to kind of start seeing and making those connections uh, between what Allah Subhanahu wa Taala tells us in the Quran, in the Sunnah, and in the Sirah, and our personal professional lives and make those connections in a practical way and seeing and start noticing the baraka. And if you if you have a baraka story in your life that you want to share, please do share with us or on the platform on the social media anywhere you want to you can get you can reach out to us. And also if you if you really feel like this is an area you want to learn more about, check out we have the whole we've started a whole academy called Baraka Academy, which is basically a platform where you're kind of researching this idea of you know, spirituality and personal and professional development and trying to do it, you know, almost in a community perspective. It's not just, again, it's not about me teaching stuff. It's about like, all right, let's figure this out. For example, we do have these monthly calls where last week we talked about, talked about purification of the heart and professional development. Or what is the link between remembering death and professional development? Or what is the link between salah and, and, and personal development? Like really starting to ask those questions and make those connections so that it becomes meaningful in our lives. So invite everyone to join that and be part of the Shalat All right, inshallah. Okay, I'll link everything up in the show notes. Uh, reach out in the social media and all that good stuff. And we'll catch you all in the next episode. Exactly. Right. Okay. Assalamualaikum. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to support the podcast, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Google Play or whatever podcast player you use. And please rate and review the podcast. As always, if you share it with a friend that's much appreciated, you can check the show notes for all the details and links. See you in the next episode.